0: Kevin Blevins, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Siemens Startup Podcast series, where we speak to entrepreneurs to gain insight on how they turn their innovative dreams into successful companies. Today, I'm speaking with Ryan Cook, Chief Technology Officer of Arcboat Company, a U.S. based startup company in the Greater Los Angeles area. I'm excited to be speaking with you today, mostly because you are innovating the watercraft world the way that others are innovating the, the vehicles that we drive. When I started preparing for the podcast, I I started with your website, and the first thing that came up during my search was was this statement, "Arc Boat Company is electrifying the world of boating, starting with high-performance water boats. Hello, Ryan. Wonderful to speak with you, and very much appreciate you taking the time to join us here. Before we start, please uh, take a minute and introduce yourself and tell us about your role in the company.
1: Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. My name is Ryan Cook. I am currently the CTO of ARC Boats. Yeah, as part of my background, you know, after I graduated college, I worked at Boeing for about a year and then um, got really interested in what SpaceX was working on. So I applied, got a job there, and I, I worked there for almost eight years, touching everything from Falcon 9 landing to Falcon 9 10 flight reusability and eventually working on uh, the Starship. Mars rocket on uh, their flaps and primary structure. And yeah, then uh, I made the jump from SpaceX to, to work on Arc.
0: What was it that drove you to go to Arc from SpaceX?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. They are very different products. It was about time for me to kind of move on to something else. You know, I'd been at SpaceX for quite a bit of time. My co-founder, Mitch, and myself really wanted to work on a startup that was hardware-focused, but also helping with the climate change crisis. We brainstormed a couple ideas. Mitch is an avid water skier, and the more that we looked into electric boats, the more we got excited about you know, working on that idea and bringing it to fruition.
0: Well, I inter- introduced the company in the opening. Can you tell us a bit more about ArcBoat Company, and what are some of the steps you had to go through in, in creating ArcBoat and making it a viable uh, company?
1: The first thing we had to decide was what products we wanted to Start with. We're starting with the water sport market. It's the fastest growing recreational market in the U.S. That's one of the main reasons to start there. Also, the size of boats in that market—they you know, range around 21 feet to say 27 feet in length. It's pretty conducive for you know building in a warehouse, building relatively quickly, and and also the size and power levels are relatively similar to that of automotive. So we're able to adapt some of the already existing electric vehicle technology and automotive into the marine space by starting in that market. That's where we decided to start. From there, we've had to figure out hull shape, hull materials, pretty much everything else that goes into a boat design in order to get to where we are now, which is getting ready to produce and deliver our first customer boats.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize the similarities between what you're doing from another. From a water sport boat to automotive and, and horsepower and things of that sort. When, when you talk about the different types of watercraft, you said the water sport. I think that's what I shared in, in the beginning as well. What is a water sport boat versus a pleasure boat, that sort of thing, in case somebody doesn't understand that?
1: Yeah, of course. And, and to be clear, the Arc 1 is a little bit more of like a luxury cruiser, is what I'd say, at least in terms of aesthetics and kind of the seating. You know, it doesn't have any bow seating. It doesn't have a speaker tower, which is something pretty iconic on water sport boats. But I mean, what a water sport boat is, is it's essentially the primary boat used for recreation on lakes and rivers in the U.S. So if you want to go tubing, water skiing, wakeboarding, you know, that's what a water sport boat is. Probably the next biggest recreational segment behind that would be pontoon boats and then like fishing boats. So, yeah, they're generally like the higher power boats you'd use for for water sports.
0: Well, I, I grew up in, in Michigan. Michigan boasts, what, 11,000 lakes, only second to Minnesota. I think the only state that has more is Alaska. But the point I was going to make is is in the summertime, that's what everybody heads off to do. Right. They head off and they look forward to spending the, the weekend down on a lake and things of that sort. But one of the limiting factors happens to be the seating. So. Can you tell me a little bit more about the seating? Because I was pretty amazed at the number of people that you could put into your ARC boat. From a weight
1: perspective, we could fit a lot more people than 12 on the ARC one. We really didn't want to promise more seats than was comfortable, though. So that's where the, the 12 number came from. And one thing that you might be noticing is that switching to an electric powertrain, it allows us more space. The battery packs, the, the motor, they all package below the deck, whereas in you know a gas boat of similar size, the engine takes up quite a bit of space in the transom area of the boat in particular, and so you might not get as much seating as as we can afford. Uh, we basically have a flat skateboard that the deck goes on top, and then we get as much creative liberty as we want with the seating above that.
0: Yeah, I was quite surprised that, that when... When you said 12, or not when you said 12, but when I read 12, and then of course you just mentioned it, but typically a, a boat of that size or with that many the capacity to, to seat 12 people typically is a pontoon or something of that sort. To, so to see it in a, in a pleasure craft of, of your sort is, is pretty exciting. So electric boats have been around a, a while, but in the past they didn't necessarily get much traction. So why is now the right time to develop and sell electric boats?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. One of the main reasons is that it's the same as what we're seeing in the automotive industry, but electric vehicle batteries and motors have matured enough that their performance is starting to become comparable with their gas counterparts. It's the same analogy to boats. But the, the other reason why it makes a lot of sense now for us is because you know the automotive industry has at least on the EV side, been around long enough that there are now a lot more sort of off-the-shelf high-voltage components that previously had to be all be made custom or in-house that we can you know, purchase in order to build our boats.
0: And does battery life have something to do with it as well?
1: It does. Those are the advancements in, in electric vehicle batteries that have come
0: in the last few years. And can you st- share a little bit about the statistics of the, how long your battery lasts and how it compares to, to a gasoline engine on a boat?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the other things we had to determine with the ARC-1 when we were designing it was how large of a battery to put on board. The way we decided to approach the problem was sort of similar to, like, your iPhone, for instance. We want to give you a battery that is large enough that it lasts you all day, and then you don't need to worry about it. Because the way that people use boats is so infrequently that as long as your boat can last you the entire day, you actually tend to have a lot of time to charge it between uses. So that's where our current pack size came into play. You know, we looked at how a typical boater would use their boat, derive what we call a time at speed curve, since speed is heavily influential on how quickly you're going through your battery. And then we sized the pack in order to ensure that someone would get you know, on average, three to five hours of usage during the day, which is, you know, a full day for most people.
0: And do you run into problems related to batteries over time? (laughs) I'm thinking about my iPhone since you mentioned it, right? So over a certain period of time, my batteries just don't seem to charge quite as well. Do we see the same thing in things like electric boats and cars as well? The main difference
1: in all electric vehicles, but also in our boat is that you quite rarely go from full 0% to full 100% of your battery pack. That's where you might start to get some degradation over time. The, The second really important one is thermal control. So your iPhone, for instance, has very poor thermal control. It's basically whatever the battery pack can conduct away through the enclosure on the iPhone into convective currents in the surrounding air. On our boat, we have, and what's you know, also true of electric cars, uh, we have these liquid-cooled systems that ensure that the batteries never reach above a certain temperature, which might cause degradation over time. We also have controls in place such that the you know, power usage is kept within limits that don't cause degradation over time. So all of those controls that we have in place mean that the, the batteries last for quite a bit longer than you know, what users might be used to on, on a consumer electronic. So, I mean, this is true of Tesla's all-electric cars. You know, Their batteries last for, for years. But then when you look at boats, the hours uh, that are put and the cycle counts that are put on boats are substantially lower than what you put on a car. So we, we actually expect our battery packs to last quite a long time in a boat application.
0: I think that's going to be really important to people, right? So how long does it take to to charge the battery? I think about oftentimes you make a decision the day before that you want to go out to go boating. Maybe it's a last minute decision that you make on a Friday, knowing that you're going to have lots of time on Saturday, right? So how long does it take to charge the battery?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. There's a couple of different levels of charging with electric vehicles. So like a level one charging would mean you're plugging it into a 120-volt outlet in your house. This is a standard outlet. It might be on the side of your house. Level 2 charging would mean that you're plugging it into a 240-volt outlet. This is, you know, one of those larger outlets you might use for, like, a washer-dryer. So, depending on which outlet you're in will change how long it takes to charge. There are different power levels. The Level 1, yeah, I mean, it also depends on how diminished your battery is and how full you're trying to charge it. But the Level 1 charging could take I mean, up to six days if you're really depleted and you're trying to charge up quite full. The level two could be something more in the order of 16, 18 hours, something like that. But I think the other thing to touch on here, which is, again, why you know, now is a good time for electric boats, is because people are starting to become more familiar with the lifestyle of having an electric vehicle. So the important thing with an electric car is, you know, as soon as you get home, you plug it in, you just kind of plug it in whenever you're at home so that the next time you take it out, you've got essentially a full tank, uh, you know, a full charge. The same thing will be true of, of our boat. You know, as soon as you finish on a Saturday, you go home, you know, if you're trailering your boat, you plug it into an outlet on the side of your house. Even if it takes six days, you're, you're at a full charge by, you know, next weekend.
0: And does it require a specific hardware for charging specific cables and things of that sort? We'll provide cables
1: where you can plug it into again either a one twenty or a two forty volt outlet. If you don't have access to a two forty volt outlet, you know that that might have to be something and you want that speed of charging. might be something you have to work with an electrician to install at your home
0: well, it's interesting to to hear also that you're talking about the length that the battery charge lasts. Um, one of the things that Many of our listeners might be thinking about now is what if i get stuck in the middle of a lake? Yeah, that is a that is a good question and definitely
1: i'm sure something that comes to people's minds. One thing i'll actually just touch on quick is with gas boats that some people who are not avid boaters might not realize gas boats have pretty bad fuel range communication with the user. So a, a gas tank is Typically sloshing around, you know, depending on the trim of the boat, if you're getting on plane or not, you know, the fuel could be all at one side of the tank or the other. Many gas boats don't even include fuel gauges because of how unreliable they are. Um, so if you talk to a, an avid gas boater, they, they could probably tell you a story of a time they got stranded in the middle of a lake just on their gas boat. So, you know, it, it currently happens. Fortunately, it's a boat, so pretty much any other boat could, could tow you back. But the thing that I'll say, especially with our boat, is we actually hope to severely prevent that problem and do a much better job at range estimation than a gas boat. We basically have perfect range information constantly being displayed to the user through the touchscreen. We can tell you in terms of time, in terms of distance, you know, how much you have left before you're running out of battery. And we also have a feature where if your battery gets below, call it 5 or 10%, where we pretty much force you to not be able to go above a certain speed. I'd mentioned earlier that speed is a really important thing when determining range left on your boat. The power used goes with speed cubed. So if you just drop a boat down to, say, five miles an hour, you're using substantially less power than if you're going even even 10 miles an hour. So we can drop the user down to a low speed and And you'll probably never run into the scenario where you're stranded in the middle of a lake. It'll just be, how long is it going to take me to get home because I can only go this low speed?
0: Yeah, and I can tell you that I have indeed been on a boat that was stuck in the middle of a lake and had to be towed. So when I was reading about the technology that you're putting on the boat and the ability to reduce that power and still have the the ability to get to shore, I thought that was pretty amazing. So I think that's kudos to you and the the team for, for coming up with that. Did you run into any challenges uh, in the early stages of ArcBoat, uh, both from a business and product development perspective? And if so, is it something that you can share with us today?
1: Yeah, I mean, as with any startup, uh, there are many challenges that we run into. One that comes to mind is, I mean, the whole design and shape. You know, a lot of gas boat manufacturers have been around for, for decades, and they've had a lot of time to iterate on their whole shapes. In fact, that's actually how a lot of them get to the whole shapes they have today is they've been iterating on them, you know, kind of year over year in order to get the wake, the shape that they want it to be for sports in order to get the efficiency to where they want it to be for range. Uh, we, we had to come up with a whole shape completely from scratch. So that was something that we spent a fair amount of time on. We did quite a bit of iteration on and we're reasonably happy with at this point. There's There's still work to be done. And then producing that hull shape uh, was, was another you know big hurdle. We're making our boats out of aluminum. And uh, there have been some fun challenges making a, a complex hull shape out of aluminum. But uh, we think we're in a pretty good spot now.
0: So how did ARC hear about Siemens and uh, our startup program specifically?
1: Yeah, I mean, we learned about the startup program when we reached out in order to set up NX at ARC. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I, I worked at SpaceX for almost eight years. And actually, there's a couple of other employees here who also worked at SpaceX, as well as some of the other you know, aerospace like Hyperloop and some of those other companies in the Los Angeles area, many of which used NX, which is what we used at SpaceX. So a lot of us had a lot of familiarity with it. And it was honestly the software we wanted to use in order to continue to move quickly, if for no other reason than, than having no learning curve. And so then we found out about the startup program. We reached out to get that set up.
0: The products that you're using, are you, are you using NX? Are you using the simulation side of the house as well? How are they performing for you?
1: Yeah, we're using NX. We have dabbled in the simulation software. They worked well. There are other features we'd love to explore, but you know, haven't had the chance to you know, either you know, due to cost or scalability of the company. You know, I could see us being interested in something like a master trim for upholstery or a fiber sim for composites as we move along. We just need to you know, look at uh, the finances and figure out the right staging in order to start
0: experimenting with those other features. Sure, completely understood. And when you do, let us know. We'll be glad to help you, as you can imagine. So what are some of the future goals for Archibald? Do you have additional products that you're already working on today? And are those things you can talk about?
1: Yeah, we do plan to work on other projects uh, in the future. Our biggest hurdle right now, though, and for the next couple of years is focusing on manufacturing and production. We've seen a signal that we are very much supply constrained in this market. We are not demand constrained. And so we're really going to be focusing a lot on getting our production tack times and uh, basically production volumes year over year up. It's going to be a big focus of ours.
0: So as you move toward manufacturing and production, do you anticipate specific challenges or technical or business issues that you you think you're going to run into?
1: Absolutely. It's been said by other people in the manufacturing space, but making one of something is easy. Making thousands of something is very, very hard. We now have a, a quite reliable, fun, high-performant boat that we've been enjoying. Uh, we can't wait for our customers to enjoy, but we now need to go – design, and build the machine that makes the machine. And that will be a whole new other set of challenges, not just technically, but also logistically. Our supply chain is international, parts coming from Europe, Asia, all across the U.S. Getting all those logistics nailed down and everything getting to the production line in order to hit high production volumes is a a very large challenge that we're entering into now.
0: And as you move to production, are you planning to build in multiple locations, or are you, you focused on a single location at this point and looking to, to grow later?
1: We're currently focused on a single location. The company is, is small enough that it doesn't make sense to have multiple locations, um, and so we'd like to co-locate production and engineering for the time being, but we certainly don't rule it out for the future as we get into higher rate production.
0: It adds an awful lot of value having production and engineering side by side as we've seen in, in many instances across history, right? So it's interesting. So shifting our focus a bit, do you have any advice or words of wisdom for starting a venture like this? What might you share with our, any budding entrepreneurs that we might have listening?
1: Well, first of all, I'm, I'm always a huge fan of hardware startups, so I, I encourage more people to go after uh, physical products. But certainly in the hardware space, the, the sooner that you can build something, and start learning from it, the faster overall you will move. The thing that you can build today is, is almost always better than the thing you can build in a month, even if the thing you can build today is less capable than what you think you could build in a month, because I guarantee you'll learn something that you were not expecting when you go through the build of, of your less capable thing that you can build today. Building things early and, and maximizing your, your learning will speed you up in the long run.
0: You mentioned that you were high on building hardware startups or hardware products in general. Why hardware as opposed to something else?
1: There are a lot of software companies that, that have been, I mean, monumentally impactful in what we've been doing. But I think that the only way that we're going to combat something like climate change, some of the biggest things facing our issues is with hardware startups, carbon capture, solar energy generation geothermal wind capture you know electric vehicles
0: to that degree
1: the real world and the hardware space is is where we're going to tackle those problems
0: well i love that you're bringing the whole low carbon idea to to the electric boat and and the things that uh, and all that goes with it right so thanks a ton for being with us today but i guess before we go are there any additional thoughts you'd like to share with the audience, uh, perhaps things that, that I haven't brought up or things that you'd want people to know about ArcBoat, uh, but again, that I didn't ask about?
1: No, I mean, I think we touched on quite a bit. You know, I'll just plug our, our website, arcboats.com. You can check out pictures, videos of uh, the Arc One in work. Sign up for a wait list if you're interested in purchasing one. That's it. Thanks. Thanks again, Kevin. I appreciate all the questions, and I think we uh, covered some good
0: topics. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Ryan. I'm excited about what you're doing to electrify the, the world of boating. Uh, we wish you all the luck in the world uh, with ARC One and the entire company. Uh, again, thank you for being here today and sharing with us today. For our listeners, if you want to know more about ARC Boat, as, as Ryan mentioned, you can go to their website. It's arcboat.com. I also want to thank everyone. For listening to today's podcast, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with another amazing startup company. And as a reminder, Siemens does offer special packaging and pricing for small to medium sized companies, startup companies, on nearly all of our software portfolio. And if you'd like to know more about it, please visit the Siemens website slash software for startups. One word, and then again, thanks again for listening to the Siemens Startup Podcast. Please feel free to provide comments on this episode by leaving a review on your favorite podcast site, or feel free to email me at kevin.blevins at siemens.com. This is your host, Kevin Blevins, and remember, innovation has no boundaries.